Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. And as you can hear, it's uh, Talk Art Live. We are doing a Talk Art Live recording with an amazing guest today. And we are recording from the Art Assembly in Walthamstow. And we are here. Yes, woo-woo. Big up Walthamstow. I love Walthamstow. Walthamstow's genius. And we are here with Art Fund, and they are... Yeah, more whoops. So many whoops. Art Fund are a charity, and they are behind the National Art Pass. That's right, and they're looking after us today, and we've got an incredible guest today, and uh, I'm very excited to introduce her. But before that, Rob, I want to ask, how are you today, Rob? I'm feeling very interconnected. I've been thinking a lot about the word interconnectedness Um, and it's actually a word that's followed the whole of my life because when I was a teenager I started writing songs and I was in a band for a long time which I stopped in my late 20s but one of the main themes which Carl Friedman who's a gallerist that I work with he brought up last week he said he thought the reason talk art was going so well and was making me so happy as well because I've been incredibly happy lately you get to spend time with me Um, I know it's obviously because I get to hang out with Russell but um, it's, it's also because of this idea of like connecting people around the world and communicating with people and it's something that I think since I was a young child I was really uh, wanted to be able to do and I kind of struggled to do that so now that we're doing it and being interconnected and then the guest that we're meeting today her work is a part of her work is very much about that interconnectedness yes yes and histories histories and personal histories and political histories and just history in general is a major theme for this artist. Um, but this artist is multidisciplinary. Can we say that? How do we say that? Multidisciplinary. Thank you very much. Correct. I can't say it either. Yes, <laughs> maybe our artist can. Uh, but she crosses all disciplines uh, and she's currently nominated for the 2019 Turner Prize. Can we get a whoop for that? <laughs> and there's another bit of connectedness there because uh, this year's Turner Prize is in Margate. So today's guest actually came to my gallery one yeah. time. For and you just leave Margate. You've just come up from Margate today. Yeah. It's just, we're so interconnected, aren't we? <laughs> uh, so we would like to introduce uh, to Talk Art, welcome to Helen Cameron. <laughs> thank you. How are you today, Helen? I'm good, thank you. I'm very good. Are you extremely busy at the minute? Is, is life crazy? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Is the, is the one-word answer yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, lots of projects on the go, as well as, um, I guess, the waiting to see what happens with the Turner Prize. But yes. also, um, there are things that we have to do, or we choose to do, alongside it. So, kind of comm stuff, publicity, interviews, all those kinds like of things. Like this, talk art. Like this, yes. Yeah. Ha- has, let's just go straight to that. Has being nominated for the Turner Prize changed your life? Literally, like... <laughs> overnight or what, what 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 effect has it had on your life up to now i guess i guess what it's done is it's made me um realize that maybe people are open to listening to what i've got to say um the turner prize is a kind of it, it's seen to be i suppose like a populist um art prize so there are people i think the first weekend of the the Turner Prize opening, I think they had 6,000 people through the doors on that first weekend and people were queuing outside. Mm So it's a situation where you find yourself not in the gallery where you're excited if there are 30 people who've come to see your work. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different platform. So in that way, my my life has changed 
big time. Um, and I, I guess I feel more public. I didn't before, and right. now I'm being recognised on the street. In Are a, you? Yeah, in cafes. Are people um, being nice to you, right? They're being very nice That's to me. That's good. Yeah. Are they getting selfies? No. Oh, <laughs> We get, I'm sure some people today get some selfies. Maybe that's to come, yeah. And actually, that's interesting because that's very much about your own voice and being heard and being seen, I guess. And um, I think that's also the most powerful message in your film, which I spent yesterday, and I've watched it about five times now in, <gasps> in different um, starting points. But luckily, Turner Contemporary had the list of what time it starts, so I got to see it from start to finish. And the thing that I find so special about that film and also a lot this of your is, work... This is the long note that the is long note. Uh, shown at the uh, Turner Contemporary Margate at the moment, which is um, a film that you originally showed in Derry yes. that you made in Ireland, and that's currently showing there, but carry on. And it also travelled to Dublin, to Immer. To Immer um, yeah. So it started out at Void in Derry. And... Um, uh, the thing I find so powerful about it is this idea that you're giving a platform to other people's voices and that they can, like, marginalised voices can be heard and also that people can be seen through your work. But also your own voice and your own personal history mm. can be heard and you can work that out as well. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, probably if I look back across all, every film I've made, the idea of voice is, is in there somewhere. Um, not necessarily mine. I think when I started to... Uh, make films I used myself even my family um, became part of it as a kind of a conduit for having conversations about structural politics and power um, and and human experience really um, and the more I've uh, made different films so commissions have come along and uh, the long note is is probably a really good example of that Mary Kremen who's the the director at, at Void called me and said we'd really love it if you could come and make a film um it's about the um the role of of women in the civil rights movement in in, in Derry particularly but also in Northern Ireland and I was slightly reluctant I, I was I was kind of worried about doing it because normally I find a place to cite myself in the work um so I've I've made work that kind of looks at race, but looks at it through conversations with my father. There's another one that has an imagined conversation with James Baldwin. Um, but somehow it's kind of clear how I'm cited in the work. And this one I felt anxious about. Um, I go in there with my English accent, and um, it's, a, it's a context that I don't understand. I don't have an experience of it on any level. Um, and so having had conversations with Mary, who said, yes, but something that's really significant and important about your work is that you have these conversations about voice. You understand the idea of marginal, um, the marginal position. Um, you understand what it is to weave stories together because they're not always my own, although I, I cite myself in the work. Um, and so that was the beginning of that project. Um, and it was the thing I suppose that was most important was that I met with women, met with women who um, generationally were part of the troubles were part of the civil rights movement um, and had something to say about that. Um, whether they believed it or not, there were two women that I met in a, in a cafe who had worked in the shirt factories. They were in their 70s. Yes, I love, I love this part of the film. And I, I think it's so interesting because they didn't um, realise the power of their own like, experience. Yeah, they or, thought, or they the, thought the they had a boring what, life, I think. Yeah. And, yes. and what was magical through you interviewing them is that they realised they had something really incredible had happened to them and this yeah. was in 1968 this yeah. was yes yeah and uh through you interviewing them it gave them a kind of moment eureka moment that something amazing had happened to them yeah and i think um yeah we 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 went to the cafe because we'd got a tip off uh, that they they had their lunch there every tuesday um and we looked around the cafe that is we, very dairy like sort of yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it was great um but then we had to look around the cafe because there were many many older women having their lunch um so in the end we asked the people behind the behind the desk behind the till um and they they pointed them out so we we approached them and i explained what i was doing um and i sat with them for maybe 3 hours um just talking about asking them questions, but allowing them to just talk about the experiences that they had. Do you had. have, like, recording equipment, or do you take notes? Is it shorthand? Or? I didn't do either of those oh, right. things. Yeah, because um, initially when I sat down, it was just to have a conversation, and then I was going to ask them whether I could meet them later. And they said, oh, no, love, no, no, no. 
And that was the beginning of why. And then they started to talk about the fact that they didn't think their lives were interesting or of any note or significant or that people would be interested to hear, wow. hear their stories. So it was reluctance more from shyness rather than reluctance to talk about what actually happened? Both, I think. Right, okay. So they also talked about this idea that people didn't talk about they didn't talk about with their friends or with their families. It was a past that they had to kind of close the lid on. Really? I think in order to survive, I think, emotionally. I mean, one of the stories from one of those women was, a, was about stepping over somebody in her family. Her cousin, um, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah who, who she, she found dead. And she thought she was going on a peaceful protest, as any of us might. Yeah. Um, and so by the end of the conversation, they were talking about, wow... We, we were in a particular moment and we did something and we mm. fought for something and something came along that we weren't political before, we weren't activists before, but we had to do something. You actively um, played a part in changing history in your town. Mm, yeah, yeah. Wow. How long was you based in Derry making this? I, w I went back and forth. Right. I went back and forth over a period of about eight months. Right, wow. Um, yeah. And was it all consuming like this? Would you go away, get the information, come back... To London because you're based in East London, yeah, your studio, yeah. come back to the studio and put all that together, digest it, and then go back and yeah. And um, there were two women who who were both living in De are both living in Derry, um, who work with um, film and they worked with a, a local archive and so they did some of the collating of footage that they thought I might be interested in and I, I arrived and was ha kind of handed this hard drive with I don't know how many hours worth of footage, hundreds oh, of hours gift. of footage because a lot of the footage was, was local, people wow. had filmed on kind of 16 mil um, iPhones yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely not iPhones well um, you can see from the footage some of it's so shaky it's, it's so you know, amazing but um, I, I really wanted to include it because that again you know it's, it's a visual voice it's a visual language but it, it, again it's their, their voice have these ladies seen it? these old ladies you interviewed? I hope so yeah yeah I hope so they've been contacted and I think they came with a group there was a group that came from um, the area in Derry where they live and they all brought um, packed lunch boxes and, and went to the had Void cups Gallery. of tea and sat oh. down and watched the whole film yeah. wow yeah. one of the things I also find so powerful about it there was a message right in the middle of the film about this idea of solidarity with other um, civil rights movements and the local political situation that you could be in whatever it is actually there's other people on right the other side of the world who are going through a very similar struggle and that idea of solidarity like really touched me and um, I also found it quite interesting with you um, actually narrating certain sections of the film so you very much have your voice and you even see your body at one point cleaning the screen of the, of the lens, um, of, the the lens yeah. of the camera so you're kind of present within the film but not in a way that's like hi I'm here it's very much <laughs> allowing them to speak and have their thing but then you also have your own history and struggle in a sense um, like personal um, development or whatever. I, uh, that was so, that's so interesting to me as you as a kind of outsider from mm. there, as a you know, British uh, voice, but not necessarily an Irish voice. Yeah, I mean, I think when I talk about being cited in the work, usually it's obvious. And part of making work for me is about understanding where you fit or where you sit within the context of, of what, you're, what you're making or what you're exploring. Um, so research is, is always a huge part of every project that I do. But in this one, it felt really important that I was clear, I was present. The, my presence was there, but my voice wasn't overwhelming or taking control of the whole of the film. So I was led by the people that I spoke to. Um, I used the Bernadette Devlin Michalowski um, interview as the thread for the whole film. And she was a very... Um present figure wasn't she in the media as well and often um making kind of obstacles towards the police i mean yeah i mean yeah. she was she was a, a an activist at the age like of a figurehead uh, 21 and yeah. she she also talks about the fact that she um found herself as an activist only because of where she lived she says i would not necessarily have been an activist at 21 she was a university student but she found herself in a situation where she felt she had no other option um, so yes she was a, a very young politician um, so she was an mp in the house of commons and, and she now runs a, a huge charity that's a civil rights charity that supports people in the north of ireland so all the way through she's kind of continued and built up she she's written her autobiography so her she understands her position and her voice very well um, and I think I I needed to find a way to um, 
acknowledge what my position was and how that was different. So the idea of me cleaning the lens is about seeing me as the maker of the work, uh, a black woman cleaning the screen, to somehow place myself in the conversation, particularly that I was having with Bernadette, but also my position in the conversation I'm taking in the film, which is about this idea of kind of the colonial experience, which is uh, an experience that Irish people share. Um, and so those kinds of strategies, I suppose, were, were quite important. And I, I wondered as well whether I should get somebody with a Northern Irish accent, so somebody from Derry, to read the sections that I had written in response to the conversations, for example, with the two women in the, in the cafe. Um, but I decided that actually it was really important that an English accent was reading mm. those words um, and that my place in the film started to kind of unfold. And I think, you know, I asked Bernadette about where did you look? Where did you look for other activists? Did you look... Did you look east or did you look west? There, in 1968, there was activism happening across, across the world. Why, um, do you think, why do you think 1968 was such a significant year for so much? There's other things in 1968 across the world. I mean, this, this, all of the kind of Eastern European um, right. uprisings, student uprisings were right. happening. Um, but also, you know, that the kind of uh, civil rights movement in the US was, yes, was, right. yes, was, was kind of in full swing then. Yeah. Um, and Bernadette talks about going to the US and meet, meeting with the Black Panthers, also meeting with other black civil rights activists. And she talks about that as a, a space of learning for her. Um, but I think the relationship that I had with her was about my position as well as her position. So I asked her the question and then we talked about um, the black civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And maybe if I hadn't been asking those questions and maybe if I wasn't a black artist, maybe I wouldn't have been asking those very specific questions mm -hmm. because I, I wanted to know if there were those connections between Ireland, Northern Ireland and American civil rights activism. What really struck me in that interview, in that, in that section, was that she'd kind of made that connection, though, that on, in America there was a... Because obviously it was being reported in the newspapers and stuff, but she very clearly made a connection there and, and went out and did those meetings in America as a way of like giving herself information and strategies for the way that they were approaching their own struggle. I was wondering whether, whether you thought that was a unique perspective as a woman to somehow have that kind of empathy because it seemed like some of the stories from different people because you also meet people with different political motivations or beliefs so you're not meeting like people just from one side of the argument you kind of meet women from different different sides which is amazing as well because um, you get a real balance that way but I was wondering whether you think because she was a woman maybe that meant that she was looking at the strategy of protest and you know her, her fighting for what she was fighting for differently to her male counterparts I mean, I think she talks very much about the, the role of women, um, not just being about... I mean, she was saying that at the beginnings of the civil rights movement the, in, in Ireland, the, the idea of strategy was something that they hadn't quite worked through, they hadn't quite processed. And so that was something that um, the civil rights movement in America supported them with because they had been going for longer, if you like. They'd been working in different ways and different contexts and the battles were, were kind of further on, I suppose, in many ways. Um, and so... That's one of the things that um, she talked about very much. But the other thing that she did talk about was the hidden elements, the elements that when you're thinking about political activism, you often don't look at the things like how women hold the community together. That's one of the things that she talks about quite a lot. So it's the taken for granted. Yes, yeah. yes. And she was saying that, you know, actually it is a political act, this mm. idea that she talked about what happens to communities at war, um, the idea of brutalism and how um, there's a shift in how people start to think about um, their lives and how they relate to each other and how they think about death and how they think about violence um, and that in order for the community to stay alive and to stay sane really she says that that was a really really enormous role that women took uh, that is often in every in every war and in every war zone that's often ignored or, or, or goes unsighted. And there's an amazing message that she says as well um, about the fact that the struggle they went through then, which lasted a long time, it was like 30 years yes. it, until it finally um, came to a close in a sense, um, was that struggles will continue. And the human nature means that there will always be struggles in the future, um, but that we're fit for it, I think she said. She was kind <laughs> of like, she had that real like, yeah. gutsy kind of soul that I was just like, I love her, like, <laughs> so brilliant. But I love that idea just to remind yourself that even if you've got really strong adversity, mm. you know, 
deep within all of us, we have power to have a voice that can bring about change. But I love the idea of being fit for it. It was so, yeah. she's such courage and strength. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that um, maybe I didn't have in the film, but we were talking about, was this idea that sometimes when you've been in a situation of crisis and a situation of absolute fear, um, and that it continues over years, um, often people think that people become weak. And actually what often happens is that they have a real strength. And that strength goes unrecognised a lot of the time. That if you can survive something that is um, dangerous and precarious and um, somehow uh, cuts and slices through your kind of agency and your sense of yourself on a, day -to -day, on a daily basis, to be able to hold that mm. means that you, you understand yourself and, and you are a strong person and that your community has some kind of strength even if it's not recognized by people outside of that community it's absolutely present wow so you um talking about research research is uh, a fundamental part of your practice and what i also love about that is that you allow your audience to be exposed to the practice because your research all these books if we go to the turner prize now in margate all, all the literature that you've accessed is there for everyone to see how you got to where the finished pieces got to. Is that, is that a con continuation through your work, that you, you really want people to see exactly your process? I don't think I want people to see exactly my process, but I think it's really... Um, when you're making a, a kind of work of art, you, you leave spaces and you leave gaps... Um, you don't give all the information. Um, and that, for me, makes the, the work more interesting. It, it enables there to be space for somebody to take what they need to take from it, to ask questions, to go away maybe and find out other things that didn't come out of the work. So you're not giving everybody all of the information as you might think you would get from a documentary, for example, if I'm talking about film. Um, but also, sometimes it's really important that people have the opportunity to make their own understanding. And so to offer texts or works or different approaches so there are you know there are some books which are some stories some teenage stories they're 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 meant for kind of i think 13 to 14 year olds to read um they're about read now like about the about the struggles yeah they're it's a right. trilogy that's based so what they would teach in schools there that hopefully they have in school libraries yeah. they have in local libraries but it's about um it's about being able to kind of touch the stories in the way that, that can speak to you. So those are stories. It's a story about two young people. One is Protestant, one is Catholic, and it's about their relationship. There are, um, there's the Bernadette Devlin autobiography. Um, there's some Nell McCafferty books where she's written about her activism around, um, well, many things actually, but um, about reproductive rights is one of them. Right. Um, and then there's some photographic books. So there is a way that you can kind of, I guess, introduce yourself through the photographic image. So the idea is that there's a space for reflection and that's why it's important that it's in the same space, I suppose, as the film. I, I really liked the book that you included as well, which was like a cartoon book, almost for younger children somehow. Yeah. And it said, um, if you were part of the civil rights movement, and it was obviously about the African-American yeah. civil rights, um, black civil rights yeah. movement, but it was a cartoon book, yeah. but kind of um, with, with two, a boy and a girl on the front cover. And I loved that you included that as well because I, there were a lot of younger visitors yesterday yes and i think it's really important to remember that um kids you know once they can start reading are just as bright as we are but yeah. they just haven't got all the experience yet and i think that was a really nice um access yeah and to sort of think about them as well because yeah. they're, they're learning like we are so and the dairy girls as well i was expecting to see a little <laughs> clip of the dairy girls there. they were a big influence for you i mean i i, I mean i love the program yeah, i love it yeah but there's a lot of artists. We interviewed another artist called Emma Abassia Khan, and yeah. she's really influenced by Derry Girls. And this is a TV show, if people haven't seen it, it's a comedy, a comedy. comedy genius television show called Derry Girls. Um, and it's very much about how humour and comedy... Yeah, schoolgirls during the Troubles. Yeah, yeah. And, and how you can use that as almost a device to make people yeah. learn about political struggle or mm. social change. Um, mm. But also it's about the everyday yeah. and about how, um, you know, you could be making a cup of tea with your mate and then slag them off or, you know, like you can have a normal, a normal life during immense political turbulence. Yeah, so it gives space for the, for the kind of normality of it all. So, yeah, people can be making a cup of tea and then somebody enters the room and says that, you know, a car bomb has just gone on. So it's this idea that... Um, People live normal lives, but also they have strategies to try to manage those, the kind of the idea that you can still have 
parents and you can still have friends and you can still have children and all of those things still happen and you can have pets. Um, but religion in it is, is I think, it's genius the way um, religion is, is brought into it. Yeah, and the yeah, yeah. sister who runs the school is both terrifying and hysterical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a wonderful programme. So prior to The Long Note, you had uh, another film, um, which was when you won the Max Mara Prize, yes. which uh, happened in 2018. You won that, right? Uh, no, yes. I'm really yes. bad Helen with won, dates. Helen won in 2018, it says okay. in my notes, so that's official. <laughs> it says that in my notebook. Uh, and the Max Mara Prize, just going to let everyone know about that, was established in 2005, and it's solely and exclusively used for promoting and nurturing female artists in the UK. Its stipulation is it's only for women who haven't yet had a solo show. So you had this uh, at the Whitechapel, and I went to see this show, and it was amazing. Uh, how, how did that come about? How did, you, did you have to put yourself in for that prize, or did they find you? How did, how did that happen? No, I had... So there's an artist called Lubaina Hamid mm-hmm. who had done a... Uh, she had done... I can't remember what it was for now, but she'd done... She had to do a playlist, and she, she rang me up, and she said, oh, she said, I'm doing this playlist. And like a mixtape? <laughs> no, it, it was for a newspaper, and I can't remember oh, which okay, one right. it was now, and right, I should right. be able to remember, right, but I right. can't. Um, <laughs> and she said she could have uh, video work, she could have music, she right. could have uh, interviews, whatever she would like. And she said, oh, do you know what? I'd really like to put one of your films on it. And I was like, oh, really? Oh, that would be amazing. So she did that. And then um, uh, an art critic called Rachel Spence um, was watching her playlist and saw the film and then contacted me and said, oh, I'm, you know, I, I just wondered if I could see a bit more of your work. So I sent her to some links for some films. And, and then she came back to me and she said, oh, actually, I'm, I'm on a panel. I'm on a judging panel this year. Um, and we have to put five artists forward uh, that we think are interesting who haven't had a major institutional show. And I'd like to put you forward. And she sort of said, you know, I, I'm just letting you know that you're probably the least known of everybody who's going to be, you know, on the panel, but I think it's really important that your work gets seen by, by the people who are on the panel. So I was like, oh, right, okay, that's amazing, that's amazing. Um, and then uh, she rang me up, or I got a phone call to say that I'd been shortlisted. Um, and then she rang me and she said, oh, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. I was like, oh, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. And, uh, and then she said, oh, yes, but remember... You're probably the least known yes. of everybody yeah. on the panel. Get, ex- get excited, but stay yeah. in your lane. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, yes, yes, no, I understand, I understand. <laughs> but it's really amazing, it's really amazing. Um, uh, yeah, and then we were invited to, uh, we were invited to put a proposal together. So each person who's, who's shortlisted has to put a proposal of what they would do with their, their six months in is Italy. Is that stressful? Or is that... No, it's in, it was interesting. It? Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. And... Um, yeah, I just went in and I hadn't done my proposal, but actually I kind of went into the room for my interview and I just started singing and I, I, I just thought... I mean, it, it, there was a reason for the song. I, I mean, I'd selected the, the work because we were supposed to say something very brief about um, our practice and as you may have noticed, I waffle quite a lot. I talk quite a lot. No. I don't think you do at all. I told you before we started, I think yeah. you're such a clear communicator. Really articulate. Very, okay. very... Yeah. Okay. Like, you have a complete clarity of yes. communication. All right, well, not waffling, okay. but I talk quite a lot. <laughs> That's good. That's and, good. Um, yeah, so, so I just thought, if I sing, if I do one of my performances and I start with this song and spoken word piece, then maybe I'll have to say a bit less um, about my practice and then I can just talk about the proposal. So that's what I did. Did wow. you sing the proposal as well? Or? No. No, no, no. So, so <laughs> By then like it was spoken, enough, I think. So you got a spoken word piece. How long did that last? Is it like a section of it or did you do the whole lot? Um, no, I did, I did do the whole lot because I, I picked wow. my shortest one. It was only three minutes. So Wow. Yeah. And for people who don't know about your, your past, um, when you were a teenager, you picked up a guitar and started writing songs. And like myself, you actually went and did gigs a lot and toured the country, I believe. And um, music was a big part of your life. And if you now go to the present day and look at your latest film that's on in the Turner Prize, um, music's a really important part. Yeah. And I think that's also a very strong thing to note, is this idea of how um, we all have a voice and we all have things to say, but it's how you say it. And when you sing, it can be interpreted very differently by an audience. And I think your film really succeeds um, in the way that you've um, sort of punctuated throughout the film different elements of music. Some of it was pre-recorded of like a young boy's choir almost, like a group of Mm. um, lads who were singing kind of local Irish songs. And then you also have different... You have Nina Simone... Mm. um, incredibly powerful performance of her playing live on the piano. I mean, unbelievable. I think that's the best performance I've ever seen of hers, that, that Montreux too. Festival, yeah. So can you talk a bit about music and the importance to you? Um, 
in your life? <laughs> I mean, it is really, it, it has been, as you say, really important to me since being a very small child. Um, and it's so important that I think in my, I think I got to about 30 and I'd been working for 10 years as a social worker or a bit less than 10 years as a social worker. And I had just stopped really playing and singing. I hadn't really done very much. And so I was playing in a couple of bands um, and it just felt like a real grind. And, it, and I felt like I wasn't enjoying it. And so I just stopped singing and I didn't sing for 10 years. So although music's really important to me, it's so important that I kind of couldn't do it. Wow. Um, and so for, for then thinking about how I wanted to work with performance, I think my partner and a friend who um, is also an artist, they both sort of said to me, you really, you really need to think about bringing it back in because you're always talking about voice. Voice is, is, is part of something that you talk about continually throughout everything that you do. And this idea then of the different registers of voice became part of, of my practice. So this idea of as you say, how you receive, but also how you communicate through differently through spoken word, sung, or, or read word. Um, it's completely different. And it does very different things to the body as well. And so this idea that the relationship between voice and body um, is kind of a kind of undefinable boundary, I suppose, is, is also very interesting to me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yo, Rob. Hi, Russ. We've got a new sponsor. I know, it's Art Fund, the charity behind the National Art Pass. Oh my God, I love the National Art Pass. They give you free entry to over 240 museums, galleries and historic houses across the UK. I know, and my mum is actually a National Art Pass holder. She is a national treasure, your mum. <laughs> she loves to discover great art across the UK and there are hundreds of venues to explore. There's always something new to discover. Mm-hmm. It's so exciting. And also, it gets you 50% off major exhibitions of art, including the tape, the V&A, the British Museum, the National Gallery and the National Portrait Gallery. It's endless. Even places like the Design Museum and other places that are a bit more scientific. like Natural History Museum and the Science Museum, Exactly. Rob. So if you visit artfund.org, you can purchase your annual membership. All you've got to do is search for National Art Pass. The National Art Pass. Bringing you talk art. So while you had that six months in Italy, you did Italian language lessons, but you also did singer lessons so you could sing in Italian. And didn't you have a singing teacher there that sort of told you everything was wrong? You'd been. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> God. It was mortifying. <laughs> I mean, I think this is what classical singing teachers do. She, right. By the way, Break she's absolutely lovely. However, she said, right, okay, you want to have... I'd never had a singing lesson in my life before. So she said, all right, you want to have a singing lesson. So um, you want to sing a, a kind of classical aria. And she said, it's quite a difficult one. And I said, oh, I know, I know. Um, and then she said, "Right, let's have a let's have a listen to your let's have a listen to your voice." So I started to sing bits of kind of the performances that I that I'd done for the kind of the last kind of year and a half. And she said, "Right," and I was like, "Oh no!" And she said, "No, no." She said, "You you know you you've got a beautiful tone, you've got great musicality, but you're singing all wrong. We're going to have to start from the beginning." Like, and I was just oh. I was mortified. <laughs> it was really humiliating. Um, but also I just thought, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to do this in time. I've said I'm going to learn this pre-opera lament and I'm going to sing it as a, you know, as a, a classical piece in a duet with a, a really beautifully beautiful and, and kind of incredible jazz trumpeter. <gasps> I'm never going to be able to do it. So that but was you, the... But you did. Yes. And has your voice changed from these singer lessons with this horrible woman? 
She was a lovely <laughs> woman. We like her. With this mean yeah. singing yeah. teacher, yeah. Yeah, it's really changed. Has it? Yeah. I think the way... Um, I mean, I still sound like me, and I think when I was much younger, I was really worried when I was playing in bands, if I had a singing lesson, my voice would change and it would start not sounding raw or, you yeah, know, all yeah. of that idea that, you know, if you don't have a singing lesson, you, you know, you're, there's something about you that's really real. Um, yeah. And actually, I, I still sound like me and I still make mistakes, but I, my voice is bigger and it's fuller and my range is, is, is kind of has grown. So I can sing lower and I can sing higher, which was always my fear because with this song I had to sing high. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, and I had two, I had a singing teacher when I was in Italy and then when I came back, I wanted to keep the, the kind of practice going. So I had a singing teacher as well here. Wow, and you still, do you still do singing lessons now? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going oh, to continue. Good, good. And do you do performances as singing? I know you did a spoken word, but do you do like a singing performance? Yeah, I mean, I move across. Um, so uh, I, might, uh, I might sing a poem that's part of... So I, I write um, my performances much as I write the scripts, usually for the films that I make. And they use different... This whole thing of voice again, but I, I use different texts. So philosophical texts, political texts pop song lyrics, poetry, and then I weave together, you know, with my words as well, I weave together scripts. So I do the same thing for my performances. So um, I might, yeah, I might use a poem that I think it will be more interesting if I sing it, or mm -hmm. I might have a piece of text that it might be easier to um, hear or listen to, because I think that's part of it. Or it might be more painful or more difficult to, to listen to it if I'm singing it. And so I make decisions about how much is spoken and how much is sung. But I kind of move quite... Um, I guess there's a, there's a bit of a jerk to it, I hope. Sometimes it's unexpected that I'll just start singing and then I'll go back to speaking again. Um, and you've also... Um often taken texts that are well-known in history. For example, um, Enoch Powell's um, Rivers speech. Rivers of Blood, yeah. yeah. Rivers of Blood speech, which was also from 1968, I think, yeah. which is the same time yes. as the Troubles in, in Derry. And then you read it out. Instead of using an audio recording of his um, voice, you actually read it. And then at the same time, you, you put that audio onto a video of your father's... Um, bedroom, I think. Bedroom, yeah. Yeah, so, so it creates a very different interpretation of those words. Can you talk a bit about that part of your work? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's something about um, subject position, which is about who you are when you say a w words, depending on me saying words or you saying words. There are things that are different about us, very different about us, and therefore the meaning of the words is, is different. So Enoch Powell, Rivers of Blood speech, was about repatriation. It was about who belonged and who didn't belong. Um, just ideas that kind of cyclically keep coming up in culture and um and so i was working in my dad's home and he was a teacher in 1968 in wolverhampton wolverhampton was where the rivers of blood speech happened by enoch powell and he used to talk to us uh, um, about how that was a moment for him where he realized he couldn't teach in the school that he taught in anymore because of the response of the students He'd all he'd you know he'd been the only black teacher. Yes, it was 1968. He um, but he found himself in a position where teachers and students behaved completely differently towards him after that speech. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of this pivotal moment, and you know, within a few years, we he was he and my mum decided right that's it we're moving to London, um, not just about physical safety but about emotional safety. Um, and, you know, he had a young family, but also he, he realised that he wasn't going to be able to work or to teach. So those kinds of situations in response to that, it was really important that I read the words. It was about the effect that it had on me specifically. The audience didn't necessarily need to know that, but I do mention that in the film. Um, but it is absolutely about this idea of Enoch Powell, a white fascist, speaking those words, and then me, a black woman, a person that he could have been talking about reading those words. Yeah, definitely. And um, mm. your father's story is really interesting to me as well because he was living in Cuba, I think. Is that right, originally? He, yeah, he was and born in Cuba. And then he moved Cuba. to Jamaica. So he was born in Cuba, moved to Jamaica. Wow, you really have done your and research. Then, I've, honestly, to be really frank, I've been so inspired by, <laughs> by your work and the more I learn, the more I want to learn. So I was like super excited about today. Um, yeah, but it's, a hist it's a history lesson. You're working history. <laughs> but, but also it's so much about the present day, you know, yeah. what we're going, what everyone's going through. And that's yeah. what I'm finding so inspiring about it. But he, so he then was in Jamaica and I think at the age of 10, was he? Or was he a bit older when he moved to England? 
No, no, he was 18. It was oh, 18. the... It was oh, the, you got that wrong. Got that wrong. My memory's terrible. Uh, he was 18 when he moved to, to England. Yeah. Um, but he, because of his experiences, was a very political person. I think he ended up being a magistrate as well. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing that was in your family home that has obviously become so much part of your DNA in a way. Um, and I think you see that in your work. But the other side I find so interesting is because of that strong voice that he had and his ideas of political um, social change, um, your mother's voice wasn't necessarily heard as loudly, perhaps. Mm. And her own history, I think she was um, Irish. Irish. Um, and you she, were talking about how that... Can you talk a bit about her and about um, the importance of hearing her voice? I mean, I think one of the things that um, I, I have realised, the older I've got, the more I've realised, actually, is... Um, how brave my mum was. Um, so, I, I, you know, yes, I've talked a lot about... And I think about my father's experience, but also it's because I could somehow position him in some of the conversations that I wanted to have about race. Um, but in that, really, I think... I, what I'm thinking now is that I, I, I did forget my mum a little bit. I, I forgot some of the fights that she, that she did have and had to have um, and how brave she was. I mean, we, you know, we had grandparents who... Um, were very ambivalent about their relationship, shall we say, um, and found it quite difficult and were really worried for my mum and for worried about, for, for us as children, what our experience would be in the UK in the 1970s. And that's because your mum also was white um, English. Yes. Um, with Irish descent. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. You yeah, really have done your research. Sure knows. them to parent their children in the way that was safe um, so it wasn't good for the children and it wasn't good for them. Um, but I worked with some incredibly intelligent, emotionally intelligent and intelligent practitioners who really believed in what they were doing. And as I did while I was doing it, I mean, I, I, I ran some really interesting projects. It was a time where, yes, I did case holding, but I, I also got to run some really interesting youth projects. I... Um, we, I, I supervised one that was um, supporting vulnerable young men in a particular community. I ran um, for you know seven years. I ran a um, co-facilitated co a, a project that supported women and their children who'd experienced domestic violence. I worked individually with male perpetrators of physical and sexual violence. And I think you know when you place yourself in a situation when you're in dialogue with those people when you don't think you're better than them or you're teaching them something but you're working with them to try to make a situation better you you have to learn something about yourself but also about human interaction and human nature and the fragility I suppose of, of humans and I heard a really wonderful uh, talk with you and a playwright Sahela El Bushra who it's on BBC mm. Radio 4 I think is it Radio 4? Yes. Um, yeah, and it's called Only Artists. Yep. And you actually met in a social work situation, but a long, long time before. And she's now gone on to become a kind of well-known playwright and scriptwriter, even on TV shows. Yep. And it's interesting, the parallel between both of your experiences and how you both wanted to say something and, and affect change through art. Can you talk a bit about that friendship? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not even a friendship. It's, it's not been, a friendship. Okay. I mean, we really like each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounded, like, it sounded yeah. like you had mutual admiration, yeah. Okay. But, but what happened was that we'd lost touch. We'd really lost touch. So I went off on my trajectory. She went off on her trajectory. Um, initially, she went to train to work and be a drama teacher and then became slightly disillusioned as drama was minimised and minimised and minimised in schools. Um, and she, so she decided that she'd go and do an MA to learn to be a... Uh, to kind of think about language. We're both really interested in language in our, in our practice, and so that was the kind of crossover. And so when I was asked to invite another artist from a different discipline, it made sense to invite her, because I, I could see the parallels in what we were trying to do in the plays that she was working on. She's doing an adaptation at the moment of the Andrew Levy uh, play, The Long Song, um, and, your, and your film's called The Long Note. Yeah, yeah. I, know I found that really kind of yeah, it was... serendipitous. So um, we ask every guest that comes on two very uh, important questions. The first one is, if you could do an art heist, because you've not really spoke about your art influences, actually. Who are your sort of artists that you look to historically and, and your peers who inspire you? Okay. Um, I think initially, this is, I find this question quite tricky. Oh. Because... Um, it's, it's literature, really, I think, is, the, is my biggest inspiration and, and probably always has been. Like I, 
I started off as quite a small child who didn't read till they were 10 and then really struggled with writing, uh, with reading, not with writing, but with reading. Um, and so once I discovered reading, it became the most exciting thing, so, uh, particularly poetry. So kind of Maya Angelou as a kind of mm. young teenager was the biggest inspiration. And then I kind of was introduced to Alice Walker um, and then um, later on started to read James Baldwin. Um, probably it's, it's kind of black American writers who um, were initially my biggest inspiration and still I fall back to them now um, to make sense, to absolutely make sense of what I'm doing. Wow. What do you think of um, your rivals in the Turner Prize do you, have any, <laughs> do you have any opinions on them? Do you think you're going to win? What do you, how do you feel about your, like... How do you feel about oh, that? Oh, I don't know. That's a question. Yeah. Um, the thing that I would say about it is that, actually, I'm so pleased this year to be nominated with the other three artists that I'm nominated with. I think there are conversations across and between what we're trying to do. And when you uh, walk round Turner Contemporary, to me, it feels like a group show. Yes. And, um, I, and yeah. I think... We really wanted that to happen, and we, from the moment we met on the first meeting, when you, you know that you, you've been nominated and there's a meeting and you all meet with each other, we just started having conversations about how excited we were, how pleased we were, how interested we were in what the other was trying to do. Yeah. Um, and so, for me, that's been the greatest thing. I mean, I wasn't expecting to be nominated, so that for me is like that's a win to me. You yeah, know, yeah, it wasn't yeah. anything that I was expecting, and. Um, and so I think the, the conversations that we've been having with each other have been really important and we've really supported each other on the kind of the, the week, the couple of weeks, the run-in with the install to the opening. Do you spend you know. a lot of time together like on press junkets or like in situations? No, we've like... actually done quite separate press right. things. I think intentionally they've wanted to minimise how much press we have to do. Okay. Um, so they've, they've been quite rigorous in selecting who gets to do what and just kind of uh, people have... I've done quite a lot of radio interviews mm -hmm. and so people have kind of invited me onto radio shows. I think other people have done um, newspaper or kind of magazine and online interviews. So there's, you know, we've all had a mix, but I mean, we have a WhatsApp group. Mm -hmm. so really? we're Yeah, yeah. All the nominees. Yeah. Do so, you? What a Turner yeah, Prize WhatsApp that. group. Yeah. That's so exclusive. It is, <laughs> it, is um, it is a really special year, though, because I think each artist is definitely looking at um, social change yes. and the impact of... Um, using your voice, really, yeah. to let other, other people be heard themselves, sort of using the platform that you have to help. Yeah, I mean, I think all the work is trying to open up dialogues about, yeah, um, whether it's, you know, about kind of the idea of uh, patriarchy and kind of the feminist position currently, whether it's about kind of migration and the politics of migration, um, whether it's about what's happening in different parts of the world. So mine is in Northern Ireland and, of course, Lawrence is in the Middle East. Mm. You know, they're all stories that affect huge numbers of people, huge, huge numbers of yeah. people. Um, and they're not dialogues that we, that we always have regularly or as, as kind of deeply as I think we need to be having. And actually, I found it quite overwhelming as an experience in a way because when you're in Oscar Murillo's um, space, it's a very powerful installation with mm. the view, like, you blocked know, off. blocked off and um, the black um, canvas that's, you know, um, installed in that space. Um, with these spectators, and then you go into Lawrence Abu Hamdan's, and that that whole film is—I mean, it's so incredibly yeah. powerful that that work, and just gets your mind racing. So I was really kind of heightened almost by the end of that one. And then when I get into Taishani's, it's more of a physical experience because you walk into the space, and it's much—it's it's almost like a theatre set or something. It's very yeah. um, exaggerated and over the You've top. You've got to go and see this. You've got to go and see the Taishani. Lots of textures. But when I got to yours, before you go into your film, I was really struck by the pause you get from the screen print works. Oh, the vinyl works you've been not talk talked about them yes. yeah how 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 long have you been making that kind of work i know you mentioned it earlier about taking quotes from bands or different political figures and then you you put them into these works but i was also struck by the color choices in those works because it really made me pause mm. i mean i think that's the moment i think in in many of the projects so in a, in one project i i might have as the core is the the film or a kind of video work and then i will work across prints and then the performance and the, there might be some text that goes along with it so there are different kinds of elements to every project and that's those prints are from a project called shouting in whispers so they're not from the long note but actually um, we showed them in Derry and then um, because I was also showing the film Shouting in Whispers in Derry 
Um, and then Immer really wanted, they said they absolutely work with this film. Um, and I suppose what the prints are is, they're, it's a, they're asking a question, a direct question of the viewer. So the film you're going in, you're watching something, hopefully it's a bit more submersive and you, you, you feel like you're experiencing something in front of you. Um, there's this interchange between image and, and sound. Um, but then when you come out, so of course, even when you go in, you, you see the prints. Um, but that's as kind of direct, for me, that's my direct questioning of, of a member of the audience, um, asking them a question about themselves and, and their position. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting that I'm hoping that when you go in, you might look at the prints, and then when you've watched the film and you come out, then the question is about something else. So the one that says, if you can't be touched by anything... Um, you'll never be touched by anything, you know. Um, and I think that's asking something very different when you've just gone to see that film. If you'd yeah, gone to see yeah. one of the other films, it would be asking you a different question. So it's this idea of uh, the interplay between the works, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and so some of those are quotes. So there's, there's one from Claudia Jones, um, which is about evocation. Evocation is a mutual emotion, this idea of how you, you can... It, whether you can or can't evoke emotion from somebody else or whether it has to be about the interplay between those people or those communities or those nations. Um, and, and then there's This Is Not A Love Song, which, of course, is a, is a pop song. Yes. Um, and, so, and then there's another uh, quote, a definition from a, a dictionary um, which defines the word punctum, the idea of the point, but it's also the place where your tears come from. So they're, they're all about kind of asking you to think about different things that relate to you in relation to the film or in relation to the books or in relation to the other work in the galleries or in relationship to your own life. Mm. I was going to say all your personal life. Yeah. Some of them, when I was yeah. reading them, I was thinking about my, you know, your, your own. It was, they're quite personal in a way because you hear your own voice when you're reading them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the, I, find, I find them like, almost like activating because um, especially the, uh, the note notation, because you, you have sheet music on the wall, I think written in your hand, yeah. but with, with notation. And as a musician, it made me almost start thinking about what it would sound like if yeah. you were singing it or, you know what I mean? Did you then? Did well, you sing it? I, I don't know if I did it accurately, because I'm not <laughs> sure how good my classical music is anymore. But I, I was sort of in my head with singing something. So what was that particular piece about and why did you include that? Okay, so for the in the show in Derry, I so in the film you see my hand writing the manuscript. Yes. But it never gets finished. It's it's never really completed. Um and it was a, a tune that I wrote, a a sound um that then I did some workshops in Derry with some local women. I think the oldest was maybe 78 um and the youngest was um 8. Um, and so we, I did some workshops with some teenagers and then I did some workshops with some adult women and they wrote the lyrics to that piece of music. Um, and we worked with um, somebody who, who ran choirs in Derry and we, I think we had three workshops and that was it and then we performed it together. And so um, the um, older woman sung their verses to the younger women the younger women sung theirs back to the older women and 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 we and I wrote two verses and so it was this idea that we were having this conversation but through song um, and the the older women the adult women wrote about the troubles and their experience but also their admiration that they had for the women who came before them so they talked about lots of the things like you know the banging of um, bin lids which was a signal that people needed to get into their houses that um it was a, a sign that the army was coming through. Whoa. So there were all these references that they brought in. And then the young women wrote some lyrics that were really about the position of young women today um, and how which things had changed, which, which things haven't changed enough. Um, but they were also talking about aspiration and wanting to find their own place in society. So it was a really interesting process and a very moving process, actually. Wow. So the other question we always ask everyone. Uh, well, we didn't actually find out, though. We didn't find out your art heist. Well, we didn't find, well, we found out your inspirations. Oh, yes, I can. Well, well I, I thought you'd steal a book. Uh, so your inspiration <laughs> was literature. But what, if you could do an art heist, any artwork in the world that you could have? Yes, there help? are a few. Okay, go. Um, not that I... I probably would ter be terrible at a heist. No, because we're going to help, help you, though. We're okay, brilliant. Okay, yeah, we're going to bring bands. We're going to bring, like... We're excellent. Okay, yeah, yeah. We do it under the cover. Mirrors, yeah. Magicians. Zip, zip all kinds of things. Brilliant, very Thomas Crown affair. So there's a painting by Egon Schiele... Wow. which is called, um, I think it's called Washing Drying in the Streets, which is in the Leopold Museum in wow. Vienna, which I, I love. Um, I would like that. 
I love Egon Schiele. You can have yeah, that. He's on okay. Tick. I would also like uh, a Lubaina Hamid painting called Le Radeur. I, I would love that painting, but I can't have that one either. What, what, unless what, you steal it very depict? well. Um, some figures. Um, there's uh, somebody with a, the head of a bird. They're beautiful. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful. Um, there's also a Mondrian painting that I really like, which is kind of not the really brightly coloured ones. It's um, but a geometric like abstraction. I thought he was going to go more yes. figurative down the figurative road because you've got Egon Schiele and then no. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Carry on. It's, <laughs> it's kind of it's it's got pink pastels in, and it's kind of like a it's called I think it's called oval on. You've put me on the spot now. Oval on plane one or something um and i i don't know where you'd have to heist it from but right. I, I would like that as well you can have that um, that's fine we'll hunt it down for you okay. the other question <laughs> we ask every guest is um what is your favorite color it always changes always changes it changes quite a lot but i have got some constants um i love teal oh <laughs> very, very, very nice very snazzy so yeah. I really really love teal I use that quite a lot in prints I, I mean I love colour generally I, I kind of I generally wear quite a lot of colour although not really today you've got but, pink um, underneath I can see yes, peeping through peeking through yeah, nice. um, and I also really like olive green yeah I so like they're, they're kind of colours that I'm and that's also I'm a colour I think to. in one of the screen prints in yeah. the show yeah yeah. yeah yeah wow well thank you so much it's I nice. just want to finish yeah. on a quote, which I... Okay. Before we finish... Uh, the listeners, which I didn't is get to see my face then. Yeah, <laughs> you can imagine it, though. You can imagine um, it. <laughs> it's a James Baldwin quote, okay. which I came to through you, which says, if you alter, even by a millimetre, the way that people look at reality, then you can change it. Yeah. Which I think just signifies your work yeah, for me. That, that's, at, that's at the end of Hole in the Sky, yeah. part two, yeah. yeah. And also a RuPaul quote, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen? By the way, I instantly have just fallen crazy in love with RuPaul. Oh, my God. I, Do you watch RuPaul's Drag Race? Drag Race oh, no, like we're obsessed. obsessed. I never watched the obsessed. American version, and I'm now obsessed with RuPaul. Yeah. And the uh, dedication to having good lighting um, is really impressive, because <laughs> RuPaul, during that show, is, is the one who always looks like an angel. It's like the lighting is so good on RuPaul. What's love. next for Helen Kamuk? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not the drag race. No. Um, well, I guess it's the Turner announcement, which is on the 3rd of December. Cool. So we go through that with that. Mm -hmm. um, and I am working on a, film, a new film commission um, up in Rochdale, um, which is about uh, the cooperative movement, the principles of it. It was the birthplace. Rochdale was the birthplace in the Western world of the cooperative movement. So right. I'm going to make a, a work where we're going to take some of the art out of the collection there at Touchstones um, and work with it in people's houses, in, in kind of public spaces and blocks of flats. And we're going to make a film which I know will have music. Um, yeah. So there's that. Then I'm working uh, with Serpentine on a project in Barking in Dagenham, which is called Radio Ballads. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, awesome. they're, they're based on some, some ballads from the 1970s where uh, communities like the fishing community in Whitby and the, the mining communities in Yorkshire and Wales, um, uh, Radio 4 decided that they would make these programmes because people weren't, ordinary people weren't being represented on TV. And they... Uh, on radio, sorry, and they are um, they're made up of song and oral histories and poetry, um, so I'll, I'll be making one of those embarking in Dagenham, and then I'm uh, doing a residency in Wysing, Cambridgeshire, for their 30th anniversary so I'm going to make a new film um, in response to the residency for I a show Wising. in February. I went yeah. down there a few times, it's, it's incredible. such a beautiful place. Yeah. Are you actually going to be staying there? No, I have been, yeah. Oh, you have been yeah. staying there? Yeah, I, I go up and down and then Oh, it's so beautiful, up north the nature and then there, down to it's just trees and trees and yeah. trees, it's like yeah. really beautiful. And also, you're from, you went to school in Dagenham, didn't you? I, I went to Barking College. Barking College. Did my ah. BTEC. So there's uh, another connected arts. moment there. Interconnected. Interconnected. Taking us back yeah. to the beginning of the interview. Now that is a skill. Yeah, but they threw me off after each other. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> they threw you off? Yeah, they got rid of me. How yeah. religious. What, were was, you a troublemaker? I was wearing a cardigan every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that note, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been amazing. It's been such a privilege. Um, yeah, big um, round of applause, yeah, please, for Helen Kamuk. Uh, if you check out Instagram, you can find the images of all the works we've been talking about today. And please come back another time. We'll Take be back care. very Thank soon. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Helen. Bye. 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 Bye.
You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.